Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, real conversations with actionable insights into what consumers want and why. I'm your host, Andrew Davidson, based in New York. And today we have a special episode where I'll be speaking with Derek Fansreich, CEO and founder of the Nest Card, a new premium charge card designed for health and wellness enthusiasts. Derek is an entrepreneur who is passionate about making health more accessible for all. He previously founded Greatest.com, which is a health and wellness website targeted at 18 to 34-year-olds that was subsequently acquired by Healthline in 2019. After my conversation with Derek, I'll be catching up with Mintel's Diana Kelter, an expert in consumer trends, to reflect on the conversation and discuss the implications not only for credit cards, but for health and wellness and the lifestyle trends uh, more broadly. Derek, a very warm welcome to the pod. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you for pronouncing my last name correctly. That's a tough one. Of course. Whereabouts are you today? I'm based in Austin, Texas. Yeehaw. Excellent. Well, okay. Well, let's start from the top. I mean, I've heard you describe uh, the Nest card as Amex for health. Um, what is the idea behind Nest and how did it all come about? Yeah. The vision for Nest is pretty simple. We all are familiar with credit cards. We have them in our wallet. You talk about them on LinkedIn a lot uh, and elsewhere. And uh, But most of the credit cards that are in our wallet reward us for uh, extra reward us for spending on travel or reward us uh, with cash back. Uh, we believe that health and wellness, and I believe this for a very long time, and I'd like to think of it in a, a small part of uh, its growth and popularity, but we believe that health and wellness essentially is the next great lifestyle, and that it is this growing secular trend, and that more and more people identify primarily with health and wellness over travel. That's not that people don't like to travel, it's just that day to day, they think more about their health and wellness and about getting more health and wellness. Mm. And uh, we also, at the same time, are in a pretty serious health crisis that doesn't seem to get any better. Uh, and so uh, the beginning of Ness really came from believing there needed to be some way to bridge these worlds together. Imagine if health and wellness could be more accessible and more affordable for everyone. And I became convinced that the way, the path in was ultimately through the wallet. And because of my experience mm. with Greatest, I also knew that health and wellness had very big margins, which would mean we could actually go kind of toe-to-toe and compete with some of the, the level of richness that sort of the travel cards offer. And that's what brings us to today, where we are at just the very beginning of building what we believe will be the next great credit card company. Uh, and that, that company will be built health first. Excellent. And, and as part of that process, did you scope out, you know, an ideal customer, an addressable market? What, 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 do, you, what do you think is the potential? Yeah. Uh, you know, my background and experience has a lot of marketing in it. Uh, and so from day one, we were talking to potential customers, you know, building up our conviction and confidence, basically, that people would be willing to move their spend, sign up for and move, sign up for cards like this and move their spend towards it. It came away pretty, pretty blown away, actually. Um, mm. The initial target for us, especially with the card we launched earlier this year, the premium card is a more affluent target. Uh, the reason we went after that frankly, was because they're lower risk 
credit card customers. Uh, and this is my first, not my first company, but it is my first credit card company. And uh, we felt like it was important to uh, start with the folks that were the least likely to default, the least likely to uh, mm. commit fraud. And so uh, we started with a premium focus, partnered with some amazing brands like Sweet Green. Uh, we are um, coming closer to launching actually a no-fee card um, later this year that will be obviously more broadly accessible. And uh, the you know the that will broaden who we're going after ultimately, and really be though it'll still have a pretty prime focus in the beginning, um, which is just the nature of building a you know competitor credit card company. Uh, the long term vision is that everyone will have actually a Nest card in their pocket, uh, and oh. that they will be using those cards card or cards to actually uh, engage with anything related to health in their lives and then some. Yeah, I mean, it was particularly interesting that you went for a charge card and not, um, you know, a revolving, uh, you know, unsecured credit card. Was that good because of the simplicity of the approach? Yeah, uh, part of it was, you know, the simplicity and the logistics of, you know, again, getting a sort of nascent card to market. Uh, obviously, with a charge card, you have less uh, risk. You are, people are not revolving. And so, in theory, there's less risk. There's also less reward because there's less interest, uh, you know, possibility to make money from interest. But it felt pretty simple. We also felt like people were pretty comfortable and familiar with it in that affluent segment. Many of the Amex cards, including the Amex Platinum, is a charge card. Um, charge cards uh, for... Um, I'm assuming everyone who's listening to this does know, but many people don't know <laughs> that uh, ultimately it just means you have to pay it off at the end of the month and you can't keep using it and hold a balance. Uh, and actually, after a certain amount of time, if you haven't paid it back, you're no longer able to use it. Uh, so you can imagine that that would lead to... Um, lead to you know less losses, but you could also imagine that if if people's intention is to pay every single month because they can afford it, that that mm. doesn't uh, kind of create a deterrent. Um, it is a form of a credit card. I do think ultimately, um, you know, I'm going to ask the question um, <laughs> without you asking it, but I do think ultimately we probably overstated. We probably overrated how many how many people would feel comfortable with a charge card. Um, mm. We thought it would actually be an advantage, but it turns out that in the world of credit card marketing, at least, the more ways in which you're different, the more likely it is that people will tune out, or the harder it will be to kind of you know get people to understand what you're building. And so there was something about calling it a charge card, you know, making it a charge card that actually I think. Uh, ultimately didn't help us. Uh, it added one more wrinkle. When we just wanted to be different because we were health and wellness first, suddenly we were health and wellness first. And also it's a charge card, so you can't hold the balance. And many people thought, think of that as a, um, as a bug, not a feature, you know? So that ended up being a bit of a barrier. Um, well, which I get, I mean, obviously Amex... That's my sense, yeah. Yeah, it's really the only company doing that is certainly on the consumer side of things. I mean, and then you sort of came down to a $349 annual fee. Any insight into how you, how you got to that? Yeah, we, you know, we, we basically created a card that we believe is as valuable as the Chase Sapphire Reserve or the Amex Platinum um, as uh, competitor cards. We didn't believe we could convince people to stop, cancel, though some of our members actually have canceled their Chase Sapphire Reserve and their Amex Platinums. They've told us that. We assume most of them would continue to use their uh, travel spend at least mm -hmm. on those cards. And so we wanted to be able to be kind of a good complement versus just a full out replacement. 
especially mm-hmm. as we were, you know, building up our marketplace, building up our offering, building up our product. Uh, you know, the premium card is is still in beta, right? So uh, we're we're still, you know, iterating on the very early days of, you know, we're not even in the first year, past the first year, right, of this card program being live. Um, you know, many people think that Chase Sapphire Reserve was this, you know, huge success out of the gates or any of the Amex cards. And the reality is almost all of them take a few years to kind of find their footing. Um, and, yes. uh, and then they can offer all those, you know, juicy sign-up bonuses. Um, let's talk about the launch and the marketing rollout. You launched in March uh, of this year in public beta mode. Um, so what was your thinking around that, um, you know, that approach to a launch? And, you know, what did you sort of get out of yeah. that? You know, and also, was there any consideration to the timing of the launch? I think the, what we want to do is launch the card as quickly as possible. <laughs> so fundamentally, the idea was to get the card out the door. Uh, now, we how long was it in development great, for? Uh, we worked, you know, our, so we basically built our uh, credit card platform from nearly scratch. That's not true of many uh, sort of starter companies that rely on outside sort of credit card as a service or even banking as service solutions. We didn't. We actually took the hard road. We raised a lot of money to do it. uh, But we built our own um, experience, our own product, our own rewards program, our own uh, marketplace of products and services. Now, partially, we were forced to do that because the health and wellness angle meant that we had to build new things. Um, but part of that is because our vision is very big and we believe we'll one day have a whole suite of credit cards. We're not just mm-hmm. building a credit card. We're building you know, a credit card company. So uh, that kind of forced us to take the harder route. That meant it took longer to get the card out. But once the card is out, it means it's easier for us to launch new products. And we actually collect meaningfully better on the economic... There's much more sort of upside for us on the economics because we're not splitting it uh, with many partners. And so the idea there is that then we can create more rich, compelling rewards for consumers. So that sort of those trade-offs were what meant that I think we maybe spent like a year, between a year and a year and a half building the credit card platform and launching our first product. Um, You know, that's a lot quicker than it's been in the past, but you can do it faster if you take some shortcuts. Um, We didn't want to take many shortcuts. Uh, We wanted to do kind of things the right way for the long term. Uh, In terms of the kind of marketing approach, fundamentally, like the market around direct-to-consumer has shifted. Uh, We are a venture-backed startup. We've raised about $20 million to date. Uh, And uh, consumer-first Venture back startups are not having a great moment right now. Definitely not consumer fintech companies. And so it became pretty clear as we got closer to launch that uh, we didn't basically like spending a lot of money to acquire a lot of customers and hoping for some kind of enormous viral traction was kind of going to be a fool's errand. Uh, it wasn't going to get the response we needed from investors. It was going to take us long long enough to really figure that out that we wouldn't have the resources to support that and fund that. And so we called it this public beta because our focus here was actually on driving engagement, finding the right kinds of customers, and using these lower risk customers, or these members, to actually build up our experience, build up our uh, marketplace, build up our merchant database. Um, we have our own healthy merchant database of uh, 30,000 now plus healthy merchants um, that people have helped us flag and identified uh, because what the hell is a healthy merchant? We kind of had to like answer and address that for ourselves uh, and, uh, and learn and get really good at KYC AML 
at uh, the credit and compliance parts that go into building a tremendously, um, you know, like secure and compliant program, uh, which is uh, very important when you're, you know, looking to expand and scale credit card programs. So our emphasis has actually been on driving engagement, getting people to open up our app often, um, getting people to spend a lot. And we've seen some pretty tremendous numbers, actually. Um, So that's been a big win for us. Were you so? Were you as part of that uh, beta when when consumers were signing up? Were you getting? Were you soliciting feedback from them as part of that process? Yes. Uh, oh, absolutely. We've talked to every single cust- every single member multiple times. We've talked to members who, you know, were approved and didn't accept. Um, we've talked to many who were rejected. Uh, we had created a, a Slack group actually of huh. um, users and. Uh, still talk to them basically, you know, multiple times a day, asking them for feedback. We're pretty intense about these things. And, and we really feel like, again, we're just in the very beginning stages of building the next great credit card company. And, uh, and, and, you know, learning what people need to know, uh, what people didn't understand, uh, learning what sort of the rough edges are and how we soften them around the experience. Uh, that's been tremendously valuable. And our product you know, I use our card obviously all the time and uh, has has really, it's like a really incredible product. It's very simple ultimately, but it's pretty incredible. And it's, it's, uh, it's mostly because of the feedback from the members that are, you know, using it and loving it uh, every day. Yeah. Do you, were you, was there another fintech or credit card launch that you sort of modeled yourself on or you looked to for sort of, you know, interesting insights? I don't know about like a particular specific launch. I mean, we looked a lot at the Revolut story because that's really, um, you know, I think one that a lot of people look at and, and they share some of our sort of values. Um, I think that the uh, so th- that comes to mind. And then when it comes to other credit cards and market that we admire and feel like there's a lot to learn from, uh, the one that comes to mind is Built, uh, B-I-L-T, mm-hmm. um, mostly because they're similarly using a sort of unique wedge uh, into people's wallets and then finding engaging ways to, uh, you know, tap into more of that wallet. Um, and, uh, and it helps that they've been pretty successful, um, both in terms of uh, members knowing them and using them, but also in terms of investor perceptions uh, in a world where yes. we're a venture-backed startup, and that's our reality. So, uh, yeah, I, I want to talk about that because, they, you know, obviously we mentioned the marketing and you mentioned the, the, the 20 million in funding. And, you know, you sit, you look at, obviously, the credit card business is, a, is effectively, it's a marketing business. And you look at someone like Amex, who you reference spending, you know, f- I think what, $5 billion again this year. Um Obviously, it's not possible to do that, but you still have to gain awareness, get your name out there. Yeah. What are some of the tactics that perhaps that you've used? You know, that all sounds uh, – one way to look at that is that sounds like a big challenge and, uh, you know, like they're, they're the, the Goliath. But, like, we all know how the David and Goliath story went. And the short <laughs> answer is that David, David gets to do a lot of interesting things. Um, You know, David uh, has the opportunity to not just do everything, um, has the opportunity to do new things, try new things, to experiment and find new channels and get amazing at other channels that they're not great at yet. There was never a moment where we turned to one another and said, you know what we're going to be amazing at? 
we're going to be the best direct mail marketers, um, you know, in credit cards. We never looked at each other and said, we're going to be the best paid social, you know, acquirer, social media, um, you know, ad acquirers uh, in credit cards. Uh, that might come one day. And we're both channels are, you know, uh, clearly like can be effective in, in mm-hmm. direct mail, clearly in particular. But, uh, you know, instead we focused on influencers. We focused on building deep partnerships. We focused on kind of unique opportunities to get in front of people when uh, they were at the point of sale. Uh, and the greatest successes we had were in truly very deeply authentic um, influencers and brands who loved what we were doing. And there was some unique like tie both ways to both the, mm. the audience or the existing customer of the brand uh, and uh, why they would come use us and why they would help them as existing customers and audiences of um, the brand. And uh, that tended to be the most effective. And that level of sort of, you know, frankly, like thoughtfulness, care and authenticity is very hard for, I would say, the big boys to replicate. Um, we, uh, you know, we were able to and and people have all heard of Amex, you know, most people who have an Amex card, who are going to get an Amex card, um, you know, probably have an Amex card. And so uh, Amex and, and Chase and Cap One are spending tons of money. But part of it is also yes. that they don't have to launch something new. You know, they have to convince people to look at it a new way or a different way. Uh, whereas for us, we, we can, we feel like we can actually, as long as we create an amazing product, an amazing, uh, rich and rich value proposition that people really find a lot of value from, we believe that above all, no matter what marketing tactic we use, it'll spread by word of mouth. Uh, and that that's really ultimately the most effective way to build something new and great. You mentioned the the built rewards card, and actually, previously on this uh, podcast, I uh, had the uh, pleasure of interviewing uh, Anka Jane, the CEO of Built. Also interviewed Andre Cherney, the uh, former CEO of Aspiration. Of course, Hmm. and listeners can go back and listen to any either both of those podcasts on our channel, but. The fate of both of those cards, you know, couldn't be more different. Um, you know, the aspiration card has been pulled, uh, sadly, from the from the market, whereas built is now being backed by Wells Fargo. You know, we've seen a number of challenger cards get launched, but then subsequently subsequently get pulled from the market. I mean, you've had some layoffs recently. You know, what was the reason behind the layoffs, and and how is the business going? Yeah. Well, first. It's a tough market out there for venture-backed companies, as we've established, uh, and in particular for expensive, non-meaningfully, you know, like profit-generating uh, venture-backed companies. Uh, we anticipated not making meaningful amounts of profit in the first few years of our functioning uh, and relying on outside support and um, capital. That might seem to some of your listeners to be silly uh, or, or foolish even, uh, but most of the great challenger companies, much less credit cards, uh, have raised, uh, you know, we've raised $20 million. Again, uh, there's not a single one of them that hasn't raised three, four, five times that before they really mm-hmm. are able to uh, kind of like, you know, make it. And so we, and you know, we're, we'll raise more capital and we'll continue growing, but we kind of were forced to shift the way we think about our approach uh, to be a little bit less uh, all you know, kind of full speed ahead and a little bit more um, one step at a time. 
And uh, that is, this is, you know, my first credit card company, but not my first business. And uh, it's not my 30th business, but my, you know, and, um, <laughs> and, and I do think, right, like so much of uh, the job of the CEO is to listen and understand where the market is at, believe, you know, uh, unimpeachably uh, where, in what you believe in, but also not be like unrealistic about, you know, what the market looks like. And so we've shifted. We, we did unfortunately have to let some people go. It's probably the most painful uh, part of my job. Uh, and I'm not the one getting let go, unfortunately. Um, but uh, it is also necessary for a business to survive in a different market. And so uh, the question broadly is not, you know, what does that mean for us? But more, what are we doing building a challenger credit card, <laughs> right? It's really hard to do. And you said, you know, aspiration and built to me are two very different stories. Aspiration had a different business that was really working, right? And so I imagine the credit card was, was ultimately just not like a focus of what essentially was a neobank. Um, and uh, built in parts, par- probably part of their success is not just that they partnered with Wells Fargo, but it's that they got that they started partnering with Wells Fargo. Um, yeah. That that might be An less injection of, of funding of and all that came with it. Yeah, and just the and just you know cost of funds is a is a is a major source of expense for credit cards, especially credit cards that are in established banks uh, like Chase and Amex, uh, and so. Uh, having a bank partner uh, like that that can um, not just be a sponsor bank, but also fund the receivables uh, and plus do some distribution, by the way, uh, is uh, is really sure. um, an advantage. And so I look to, again, Built as a as big, you know, I admire what they've built tremendously. Uh, and I do think Aspiration in some ways also proved out some level of niche-based lifestyle. Um, you know, they built a pretty impressive business. Um, even if not a credit card one, it seems, uh, tied to people's environmental um, sort of leanings. And uh, I think health and wellness is much more popular, by the way, than people who are interested, uh, who are willing to like sign up for a bank that represents their interest in the environment. Uh, and so that gives me some confidence. Um, but the, the short answer is that the road ahead is hard. Uh, I would mm-hmm. love to pretend that, you know, it's all... Um, you know, kind of like all uh, up and to the right. But the reality is uh, this building a challenger credit card company is really tough. Um, there's a lot of challenges until you get to some scale. And so my job is just to make sure we get to that scale uh, and uh, less as quickly as possible, but more uh, getting to that scale eventually um, and uh, growing from there. Yeah. Um- but in terms of the product itself, what, what types of rewards and benefits are actually resonating? How's that going? Yeah. Um, so for those of you that don't have a Nest card, for those very few of you, I'm sure, uh, <laughs> essentially the, today's, uh, today's card and the no-fee card will work you know, broadly the same. Um, it rewards you with points, much like your travel uh, you know, focus card does. Uh, it rewards you with points for spending at healthy merchants and for doing healthy activities. And so uh, healthy merchants actually are defined very broadly. The obvious stuff like healthy food and uh, fitness and gym you know, memberships, that all, that's all pretty obvious. 
but we also include salons and spas. We include anything healthcare and mental health and therapy related. We also include all groceries and pharmacies. Uh, to my knowledge, we are the best performing card on the market for groceries and pharmacies. And our no-fee card actually should be too. Um, we're still finalizing some of the like, you know, ultimately what the uh, rewards will look like. But like fundamentally, we should end up being the best bang for your buck uh, for essentially everything not that's not travel, um, even with the no-fee card. Uh, and so the idea here is if you care about health and wellness and you value it, uh, using this card will get you points and you can use those points uh, that you're earning in our marketplace of health and wellness products and services. This is also unique. You're not just using those points in the same travel portal that everyone else has. You're not using them just to, you're not just getting cash back. We've actually built a uh, hundred plus, um, partners uh, into this marketplace. Um, and the rewards you can earn uh, really run the gamut from everyday things like a sweet green salad, a ch- you know chipotle bowl, uh, a class pass um, credits or uh, solid core class. So sort of your everyday stuff, all the way to a full body MRI scan with Pranuvo, a weekend getaway to an Amman resort, um, the, you know, and then we've got things in between like massages and Warby Parker glasses, um, prescription glasses and things like that. So the idea here is people end up engaging a lot more with the everyday rewards. Uh, we like that. We want you to make yeah. wellness, you know, more part of your life. And there's also still that sort of aspirational nature of one day I want to do a, you know, I'm based in LA and I want to do it, you know, shopping spree at Erewhon. And that's, you know, a reward you can save up for. Yeah, well, that's interesting. You have those everyday options because, you know, we've always found in our research that the more, you know, cardholders redeem, the more satisfied they feel. And uh, that obviously is self-perpetuating. That was a big, that was a big, yeah, that was a big focus for us because, again, we, we think one of the differences, one of the, frankly, like benefits we have against this notion of a travel card is you don't travel as much as you engage yeah. in your health and wellness. Right. Um, how, how many Save times up two a day years, do people... Yeah. Yeah. And there's a deep and profound in our customer research, which you mentioned earlier, there's actually a pretty tremendous amount of dissatisfaction with both the value of those points, the travel points, which tend to get devalued over time, uh, the frustration around having to gamify those points. Our Mm -hmm. points are always worth at least a cent, sometimes more. Uh, you mm-hmm. don't really know what they're worth in, in Amex and Chase and all those different platforms. Uh, and frankly, they're trying to play games with you sometimes. You thought that you could get that trip, but you can only get that trip on Tuesday mornings at 3 a.m. in the morning uh, using your points. Uh, and people also, uh, they, they just feel like it never adds up to what they ultimately have envisioned. Instead of taking that beautiful trip to Tahiti, they're ending up using that for 50% off their flight You know to... Chicago or something like that. And so it doesn't end up actually being this aspirational thing they were hoping for. And so uh, though Chicago can be very nice. Um, And uh, and so we we were really intent on that. And uh, nobody opens up their Amex or Chase app every single day. Our average uh, member today opens up the app nearly twice a day. Um, mm. looking for new rewards, looking at the different rewards that exist, you know, um, saying in their activity that something was a healthy merchant or making sure that it was properly, you know, um, categorized. And so uh, we think that's just uh, the beginning. That's of how really it interesting. Be different. It's sort of high, high, it's sort of the idea of 
a high engagement, high redemption sort of premium product. That that's certainly uh, unique. Do you? I, I, I was just interested though. Any one of those particular things got the the Nescard Slack group really buzzing? Like you know, one <laughs> one particular thing that you added. You know, people love people. I mean, Sweetgreen is our anchor. You know, anchor partner, and people love Sweetgreen. Definitely in our okay. target customer base. Okay. That's always the one that gets people going. Uh, we. Uh, you know, we had some people who wanted more sort of uh, male-focused apparel, you know, like fitness apparel options. Uh, and so we added some of those. And uh, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, we're very proud of the engagement. And, and it really hints at sort of uh, where we think the future of this business actually is going. And not just focus on consumers, but that unique amount of engagement, that ability to navigate and drive people to certain uh, discover even certain rewards or benefits they didn't know before is part mm-hmm. of what's been resonating so much with uh, health plans and why uh, we're starting to work on actually building uh, co-brand cards with health insurance companies. This is something that we haven't shared mm-hmm. publicly yet, but the, the sort of application of what we've already built um, a health first credit card platform, but imagine now you're getting the card not just from you know applying online, but you're actually getting it as a replacement to the laminated dinky health insurance card you get in the mail every year. And now, if you qualify and connect your checking account, you can actually use the card that your health insurer sent you uh, to get extra points on your premium, on your copays, uh, on any healthy spending. Uh, get rewards for going to your annual um, wellness check and getting your flu shot. Uh, if you run into a big medical expense, you can pay it down over time, zero APR, zero uh, percent APR. The idea is that you know you can track your out-of-pocket spend and deductible more easily, overlay and utilize an HSA FSA without having to use a separate debit card. The belief from day one has been if we can get, if we can basically earn the right, if we can earn the trust and the relationship to be inside of your wallet um, by providing you real, true, competitive value, better value ideally than anyone else, we can then help guide you to better decisions. That's something that health insurance companies who have a real vested interest in people doing better things, going to more cheap you know, providers uh, and, uh, and not running into medical debt um, are, are really, have gotten really interested in. And so we're very excited about that future for us and um, sort of is the next, next stage of this business. That's that's amazing. So let me just to underscore that. So the vision there is what you're saying is that the the health insurance card that that we all carry in our wallets, those who have access to health insurance, could potentially be a co-branded Nest card. Exactly. Yeah. And think about it. Co-brand cards essentially are in every other market, in retail, um, you know, uh, airlines. Um, the transportation, you know, car cards, yeah. um, even the tech companies that you engage with. Why not health insurance and healthcare? Absolutely. Uh, and healthcare is really, I believe, payments and providing services. <laughs> it is yeah. effectively payments, and so we believe the killer app for healthcare actually is a credit card. That's something that's driven us from the very beginning, uh, and we are again just at the very, you know, very start of sort of, um, you know that journey uh but we're very excited about uh the yeah. uniqueness of what we built and how it applies to this very um you know, you know a space that needs a lot of innovation and improvement 
It, uh, absolutely. And that, I mean, that sounds extremely innovative and exciting. Obviously, consumers spend so much money on healthcare. Uh, and so getting something back for it, obviously, uh, would be groundbreaking. So, yeah, and um, fundamentally, shouldn't health insurance companies pay for people to be healthy? Like, how come health and wellness is so expensive? That's basically the big question that I was yeah. asking in my last company and, you know, what we asked when we were starting this one. And the yeah. answer is because, unlike almost every everything else, no one's incentivized to pay for that. Now, some big employers are, right? Um, and uh, because they want people to be healthy and then they cost them less, right? Pretty obvious. Um, health insurance in this country, though, is very bizarre. Uh, mm. And it's based mostly on a... It's mostly tied to employment. Uh, people spend a very short period of time with their employers, typically, and never shorter in this country. And so the idea is, how do you like track with people over time? The idea that they could actually become a Nest member, the same way they become like an Amex member or a Chase member, and that that can actually follow them from one insurance company to the other, or with them as they stay with an insurance company and have kids and change up their you know insurance uh, plan, but stay with the same company. That idea that you could actually be sort of this this, you know, relationship layer with consumers uh, and in the process help align incentives between the health plans and the people themselves so that you can actually justify paying for people's gym membership and for their healthy food. And that's ultimately like the big, big vision of how we make health and wellness more yeah. affordable and accessible for everyone. Excellent. All right. Well, Derek, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, I wish Not you and best. the team at Ness the very best. Uh, but yeah, thanks again. Thanks, Andrew. Bye. All right, well, that was a, a fascinating conversation. Derek Flansreich has an innovative idea uh, and a long-term vision. He really seems to be onto something, and I, for one, hope he gets some uh, more backing to see where it all goes. All right, well, I'm now joined by Diana Kelter, Associate Director of Consumer Trends here at Mintel. Diana, welcome back to the Mintel Little Conversation podcast. Hi, Andrew. Happy to be here. Whereabouts are you today? Well, I loved hearing Derek was based in Austin because that is exactly where I am based as well. I um, live oh in Austin, goodness. Texas. <laughs> what are the chances? Yeah, what are the chances of that? <laughs> maybe we'll have to right, meet so for a cold punch sometime <laughs> in Austin. <laughs> so what did you think of our conversation? So I thought this was a really fascinating area of focus. Um, so as you mentioned, I sit on our trends team at Mintel. So I'm always looking at these higher level macro trends. Um, and so well-being has been on our radar for really quite some time, even long before the pandemic. We were seeing a rise in lifestyle well-being, holistic well-being. Um, obviously, the pandemic created even more interest in well-being. Um, so I think the focus of this card is spot on with trends we're seeing, that well-being mm. is becoming an area of focus for consumers, and not just in the traditional areas, but the holistic sense that uh, Derek touched on, mental health specifically being something that consumers are focused on. And then just the accessibility to have access to well-being, I think, was touched on in your conversation. And that's where I see an interesting bridge between the wellness space and the finance space, which is they both share this underlying um, sense of consumers understand what has to be done. They know they have to budget or think about their spending, especially in economic uncertainty, but it's hard to do that. Sometimes it's not the what you want to do. And the same thing with well-being. People understand the foundational elements that go into wellness, diet, fitness, um, therapy, all these different components. But once again, it's 
not easy to do these things. That's why they're always looking for support to create those steps. So I think it's interesting to see a card bridge those worlds um, where the fundamentals for the consumer are similar. Um, They're looking for that education and that guidance. So I think this card is interesting in that sense, because that really, like as mentioned, hasn't been created before. Yeah, so one thing you touch on there is sort of financial wellness and uh, health and wellness, and maybe those that could be one way that this card develops in the future. Yes, we actually do have data. We did a financial wellness report uh, in the U.S., and we see that 75% of U.S. adults feel their financial wellness impacts their overall health. Um, mm. So it really goes to show wellness is really something every industry has to be paying attention to. It isn't just your traditional categories anymore. When you think about wellness, it's something that we're seeing consumers look at really across every aspect of their life from finances, um, especially because at the end of the day, it, it impacts your physical health, what you can have access to, what you feel you can afford. And obviously the stress of finances impacts your mental health. But one thing I thought was interesting too with this card is the target audience seems to be kind of an affluent millennial or even an affluent Gen Z, which I think is really something that um, is of interest for a lot of finance brands and brands in general is to realize that there are some affluent Gen Z consumers out there. We tend to think of them as still being young and not really having the means to afford maybe a card that has a, a fee associated with it. Um, but we do see, we, I'm actually doing currently a presentation with one of our Comper Media analysts, Nicole Bond, um, about the Gen Z um, finance uh, area. And we really see it's kind of almost a third, a third, a third. Um, I love how she breaks it out where you have your kind of um, your novice kind of Gen Z consumers who are really looking for those that kind of framework, the education. Then you have like your transitional Gen Zers who are kind of know what they have to accomplish, but they're still looking for that support. But what I think is the target for a card like this is that affluent um, Gen Zer mm. who has their bases covered. They're kind of a little further along in maybe their early career. They're in the 25, 26 age range. And a card like this would probably speak to that audience who is very focused on well-being and kind of has the, they're looking for that, what can I get? And maybe it is travel they want, but I think in a lot of cases, we're going to see this crowd especially seek these well-being benefits um, as their rewards. And it's interesting even that, you know, American Express has proven that younger consumers will mm-hmm. pay uh, for, particularly for, for benefits that they see, you know, that they think are valuable. Exactly, exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, really fascinating conversation. I mean, there were some really interesting takeaways, I think, from my perspective. I mean, I mean, he, obviously the idea of the, a charge card, as, as Derek described it, as a bug or, or a barrier was, was notable. I think particularly mm-hmm. you know, in this current environment where consumers have you know, record levels uh, of outstanding debt. I think, you know, one thing that really stood out to me was the high levels of engagement. I mean, Derek referenced, um, you know, members accessing the app twice a day. And that sort of really struck mm-hmm. me as something that was quite notable. You know, you've, you're, yes, you know, you, you take a long, you know, the, if you're saving miles for a flight, that takes a long time, you know, but they've got benefits and, and redemption opportunities built in to, to, to encourage members to access the app twice a day. So this idea of a premium product with high levels of engagement was I think quite unique. I think, yeah, I think, Andrew, what you're saying about the daily engagement 
is interesting because I know you mentioned American Express and I think what American Express has done well is brand a lifestyle. And Mm. I think it's interesting. And I think that's what's going to connect with younger consumers is going deeper than the transactional. Um, They want uh, emotional connection to a brand they want or they want rewards that have an emotional connection. And I think we've even seen it with the success of something like Venmo with younger consumers. It's not just about transaction of, okay, I need to send you money. It's like a social feed and it kind of makes it more of a lifestyle, something that you engage with. And I think obviously well-being has become a lifestyle. I think that's exactly what I was talking about at the beginning. It's not just a single industry anymore. It's everywhere. Every industry has to pay attention. So I think looking deeper than the transactional is what's going to set anything apart right now, whether it's a financial card, whether it's a fitness brand, whatever it might be, connecting to the lifestyle is really what's going to resonate with your millennial and your Gen Z audience. Yeah, that's 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 a great point. I, I mean, the third, I guess the third point for me was really the announcements. You know, obviously, yes, we're, we're he, the Nest card is focused on these premium customers, but he talked about a, a no fee card in development and, and on the way. Um, and then, you know, the real sort of groundbreaking announcement that, uh, of leveraging what Ness has built so far into a co-branded credit card with a health insurer. So that was, you know, breaking news um, and it would be a first for the industry and seems like a, a, a huge opportunity. Yeah, I think that is really interesting, especially kind of going back to your Gen Zers and even your millennials. We assume that they are more inclined to go towards these trendy fintech or newer disruptive cards. But what we find is that there's layers to this. So maybe mm-hmm. the transactional component they have is with this more disruptive card, but they're also their trust still lies with these legacy institutions. And I think we could say the same with insurance. They trust these institutions that have a legacy. They are built into this kind of um, industry. So we see it with the financial space. We see it with insurance providers. I think we see like 60% of Gen Z adults are more likely to trust a financial institution with history. Um, and so I think that doesn't mean that that's where they're, they're not going to turn to these disruptive startups. It means they mm-hmm. have to be, their layers really go a longer way. When you have that partnership, when you have that co-branding, it creates that unified experience of bringing in something that's trusted with something that's meeting the current needs of the consumer. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. Trust is key. I mean, it's a key challenge for these mm-hmm. uh, new startups, these fintechs, as well as just building awareness. Um, which you know requires um, a lot of advertising. We talked about that quite a bit um, in in the podcast. All right. Well, thank you, Diana. That was really you know useful context. You know, it's clear that Net is trying to adapt to the realities of a challenging environment, but also staying you know staying the course of what seems to be you know a great idea uh, and a great opportunity. So, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, You can find my interviews with the founders of Aspiration and and Built on the Mintel Little Conversation podcast channel. Uh, The conversation doesn't end here. Head over to Mintel's LinkedIn and Instagram and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to know more about Mintel, visit Mintel.com and sign up to become a member of the free Mintel Spotlight community. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Goodbye for now, and we'll catch you next time for a new episode of the Mintel Conversation. Conversation.